I'm Danielle Laporte, and essentially, this is a one-woman show about self-realization called With Love, Danielle. These are adult topics, spiritual but sometimes risky, so just FYI with whoever else is around you. There are copious podcast notes at daniellelaporte.com. You can get links to things I mentioned, to people I mentioned. It's all there for you. I'll be talking about compassion, self-help fatigue, sex, joy, serving the world. This is about a spirituality that's way more rock and roll than it is oppressive. I'm here to help you turn your anxiety into power. Personally, I want to live more deeply, but lighten up. You're going to hear about all the ways that I have finally figured out how to do that. It's about doing everything I can to help all of us feel a little less crazy, a lot more full of possibility, and clearly part of the solution. Hey friends, guess what today is our last episode of this series. I'm right where you left me. I'm still sitting by the fire in my home in East Vancouver. And I'm feeling a little bit like sentimental. And I thought it would be a good time to have a conversation about truth. Truth with a capital truth. And honoring the lies that help us get to our truth. I've come to the conclusion, and I'm willing to change my mind on this, but I just think you have to leave so much room to be boggled (laughs) by it all. And I've noticed in myself that when I try to look for finite answers about the infinite, uh, it just creates a lot of anxiety. But I am so committed to putting one cosmic foot in front of the other and staying on the path of desiring to understand. I'm so down with the search, even though truth is, well, personal truth, relative, objective, subjective, but the big truth, the capital T truth, the sexiest, truthiest being the absolute truth, the unknowable, the who knows, the truth. Yeah, so stunning and so luminous and so unfathomably, deeply pleasing, divinely impeccable truth. That's what I want. Do you want some of that? Here we go. If we don't question, we don't grow. I think that curiosity is the bloodstream of our embodied spirituality. Curiosity fuels your faith. It's the heart of your spirit, really. And the more curious you are about how life works, the more present you will be in your life. Like everything, curiosity has spectrum. So there's that kind of curiosity about like, what is going on? What's the answer? I need it. That is, you know, it's just like soaked with desperation is desperately seeking. And that is what happens during crisis time. So, you know, when I'm in pain, when I want what I want, when I want to get out of the pain, then what I want is the right answer. And I want the solution. I want that answer right away. And in those struggles, (laughs) those painful predicaments, I would try feng shui to get the money flowing. I would 
do some kind of chakra clearing ceremony, something to get the mojo moving, I would call another. You got a clair. You got a clairvoyant. You got another. Yeah. What did what the psychic tell you? <gasps> you like what that psychic told you? I want the psychic to tell me things like that. Okay. What's their number? Yeah. One eight hundred. Somebody else. Give me the answer about how it's all going to manifest. Okay, so that's not the curiosity I'm talking about here with respect to our beautiful, gorgeous search for true reality. The curiosity I want to inspire us to generate, it's, it's patient and it has a kind of, um, it has a kind of confidence to it. You know, it's present. It's really awake. It's wakefulness is how it seeks. So that kind of curiosity is rooted in some esteem. You know, there's some dig- <laughs> there's some dignity to the search. It reminds me of the time I was going off to go to a Buddhist retreat, specifically in the Shambhala lineage. I had no idea what I was in for. <laughs> And I loved the dichotomy that I was going to a Buddhist retreat taught by a Lama named Mark from Toronto that was being held at the annex of a university for theological and Christian studies. I was just like, this is, this is banging. And my hardcore Buddhist friend said to me, this was her advice, when I got there, she said, make sure you question everything everything the Lama says. The Buddhists love that shit. I got it. <laughs> Question everything. And she said, oh, oh, oh. And make sure that if he asks you if you're going to take vows, tell him that you have no intention whatsoever of taking the Buddhist vows. That'll totally turn him on. Okay. Note to self, how to turn on Buddhist Lamas. Got it. Actually, I actually did say that. <laughs> I pulled out the I'm never going to take vows card because I approached the Lama afterwards at the end of my three days and asked if I could learn from him more and how could I become more of a of a student of his teachings. And he asked if I would agree to come for a three-week retreat at some point in my life. I agreed to that. I haven't done that. And you know what? might have to break that vow. I don't know if I'll ever do a three-week Vipassana retreat. Hmm. Oh, I know I'm feeling all like vow guilty. Anyway, I digress. I would call myself an absolutist, maybe. I believe in one truth, except I don't think any of us know what that truth is. <laughs> so that makes me a fairly open-minded absolutist which of course I think is the best kind. So I'm righteous, but I'm flexible. We think, we perceive, we believe, we know. I think that's the food chain. We think it, we perceive it, we believe it. And then maybe if we're blessed enough to have a full experience of something. We know it. And I suspect there's something beyond knowing. It's a beingness. It's, 
It's a radiance without question. It's the wellspring of existence. I, I don't know. I believe, because <laughs> it's unknowable, I believe that there is a universal, all-pervasive truth that architects life. Because I believe that uh, we all come from the same source. I believe in, as difficult as it is to wrap my cold heart around it some days, I believe in oneness. And I believe in that whatever that architect is that I most gracefully call now God or the infinite, I really have faith in its magnificent genius. I believe that we all originate from that source, that everything in existence originates from that source. And in that, even just considering that, when I'm just toying with that idea and playing with that perception before I really step in and own that belief, I can sense my own personal creative power in just considering a higher power. And I can recall in the memory of my spirit a place where the we, that is humanity, becomes the I of me, and where that I of me is the I that is God. It all blossoms and flows and, and undulates together. And in that deep, radiant believing, I have a memory, I have a recollection of a choice when the I, the me, that is God, became a we. I feel, I wonder, and maybe I am accurately recalling, the godness that decided to burst itself into individual sparks of light. When the infinite made a conscious creative decision, I mean the infinite can only make a conscious decision, to seed itself out, to extend itself out as an infinite number of individual souls, the moment when the fire becomes the sparks. Maybe it was like a big bang of love and consciousness. I don't know. But just wondering about it makes me feel more whole and more at home. So if any of that is true, then I have to believe that we come into this wilderness called being human on this planet called Earth by choice in a collaborative act with that which is higher than us. Uh, it's an intentional adventure to remember, re-member our way back home and to evolve along the way. <laughs> I just have to say here, <laughs> the, the writer in me has to declare that I really dislike new age 
<laughs> wording, like, as I just did, like, we are here to re-hyphen member. Uh, like, you know, the universe, we are all unified. I, I just give me the direct word. But anyway, sometimes, sometimes getting my point across calls for just sprinkling a little poetic cheese on things. Yeah, so I think the decision, the commitment, the devotion to be here is and was for each of us the ultimate creative act because life lives to create. Life lives to create. And one thing out of the 9,000 things I've learned from my own struggles and darkest nights and really just being on my knees asking God why is that I'm now in a place where I feel my choice to be here as a human is an act of love. I am going to evolve in service to God and in service to the other sparks on this planet who are embodied, embody elements of God also. And this is sometimes difficult, but I, I, I know it to be true in my cells. I'm not just doing God a favor by being here. It's a gift. It's a, it's a gift to be here. Yeah. My existence and therefore, you know, in my belief system, our existence, our existence is an incredible love story. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and hey, like all relationships, things can get pretty fucking tricky. So let's talk about that. Because we tend to learn in contrast, we are going to buy some lies. We're going to fall for some doozies, as the English say, some porkies, on the way to our deepest truth on our way to trying to figure out what universal truth is. So I think there are some fantastically flawed premises that most of our society has been running on for thousands of years. And I'm going to break them down for you right now. Ready? Here we go. Lie number one. It's the lie of inadequacy. The lie of inadequacy says this. You were born defective, not good enough, flawed. Mm, yeah, guess what? Not even close. So tragically, in many cultures, this fallacy translates to you were born a girl or you were born different, therefore you are inadequate. Yeah. So in other cultures, it means that you incarnated into the wrong cast, you have the wrong shade of skin, or you love someone of the wrong gender, you are the wrong gender, or some intersection of many of these alleged human deficiencies. And we are force-fed this lie of inadequacy by social messaging and religious doctrines from every direction. It's, it's endless. It's like, it's, it's as if it's baked into our DNA. And we can inherit the lie of inadequacy, um, 
like it's a genetic transference. You know, the stories of being unworthy for one reason or another get etched into our minds generation after generation. And the very act of deep curiosity and questioning your worth is, it's an uprising of love. You are breaking the cycle, not just of the lies you're being told by the media and your school and your church, but breaking the cycle of hundreds, thousands of years of illusions. How's, how's that for uh, how sexy it is to be into self-help? Yeah. We can't talk about the lie of inadequacy without giving a really special nod to the Christians. Christianity has done a great job of bolstering this with the concept of original sin. This is deep and this is sweeping. It includes the Roman Catholics, Anglicans, Methodists, Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses. They all believe in some variation of the we came into this world soiled with sin lie. Yeah? And it makes it really hard to get off to a good start, doesn't it? I remember being in grade two and went to a Catholic school. So much that I loved about it and I'm thankful for. And Father Flynn was in, as my dad said, Father Flynn was, he's older than Jesus and dirt. And he came in to talk to us about our first communion. This is where you are symbolically going to take the body of Christ. I, I could not, I did not get that. Would some somebody really needed to break it down? This is just a symbol of Christ showing up on earth to do good things for human peoples. But I, why somebody needed to tell that to my nine year old little brain because I was like, the body of Christ, I don't understand. And why is the wine his blood? And I didn't. But I'll tell you one thing that left a huge impression on me a negative impact was a concept of original sin. And I thought, I remember touching my forehead when Father Flynn said to us, we were born with the mark of original sin on our foreheads. How could I have done anything wrong? I was just a little itty bitty baby. I just showed up. I, nothing, I'm sorry. And that was, that is the beginning that happens long before that, if you're raised in the Catholic Church. But that was the beginning of me really taking on this dynamic, this 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 punitive relationship with a higher God. That if I wasn't doing X, Y, Z, if I wasn't good enough at everything, if even my thoughts weren't clean enough and devoted enough, there was going to be, everybody, hell to pay. How can you ever feel loved for who you are if you are told at the most impressionable age that you are born a sinner? Oh, that is the soundbite of the lie of inadequacy. The concept of original sin is used by a lot of Christian ideology to explain why so many uh, painful, dark, 
disastrous and seemingly inexplicable things like war and violence and suicide and suffering can happen in a world that was made by an apparently perfect Godhead. (laughs) So God gets to remain perfect, but we are the cast out sinners who are responsible for all of this negative shit. We could go into so many directions with this because this relates to the story of Adam and Eve and Eve eating the apple from the tree of knowledge. It wasn't Adam's responsibility for being cast out of paradise. It all fell on Eve's curiosity. Somewhere along this conversation, we could go into agrarian culture and how once we stopped worshiping the goddess and dividing up our land and the perspective shifted more to the figurehead, the godhead being the patriarch, then women were super hooped. We were more sinful than ever. More inadequate than had ever been imagined before. But back to the scenario of a god who is omnipotent. I do believe, by the way, in a God that is omnipotent. But it gets so incredibly twisted because if we are the opposite of omnipotent, (laughs) which is impotent, by the way, if we are that helpless, that worthless, and that inadequate, then we are always living in a state of confessing and apologizing for our inadequacy. But apparently it's all going to be okay because in the end, we can implore God to save our sinning souls. Does this strike anybody as really off? Yeah? Or just super fucking confusing? It's meant to be confusing because oppressors, in this case, the patriarchal mindset, which thrives on oppression, oppressors use confusion as a form of control. The dominating party will use confusion to create reliance. This might be a good time. I just want to get it in here that I am not anti-Christian. I'm anti-oppression. And as I've mentioned many times throughout this podcast series, I deeply adore Jesus the Christ, and the flame of his love burns brightly in my heart. But man, this lie of inadequacy, we've got to do something about it. In my 20s, I wanted to attend a university that was called Creation Spirituality, and I wanted to study theology. Uh, Creation Spirituality was started by a Catholic priest named Matthew Fox. I would go to his so-called masses. So imagine, it's like Holy Communion is meeting indigenous ritual, meets a rave, and it's Sunday morning in a hotel ballroom in San Francisco. And oh my God, I was, I was home. These are my people. This was bliss. I felt quenched by a faith that was so inclusive, so sensual, so fluid, so ancient, but so of the time. I I fell in love 
with their translation of Christ's original message. It's like, finally, this is what Jesus was really saying. Oh, I was, I was spiritually smitten. And I thought, I'm going to do this. I'm going to attend the University of Creation Spirituality. I'm going to become a really sexy young priest. <laughs> I don't what do they call a female priest? Uh, I guess a priest. And I was going to be in contemporary communion with the world, that I could minister the light. I would devote my life to embodying the divine feminine. And I could still have a lot of great sex with a hot husband and make me some babies. That was the plan. <laughs> Life had other plans in store for me. I am ministering in my own way. It's called a podcast and other ways. But this is what I wanted to get to is one of the diamonds, I think, of Matthew Fox's teaching. So, Matthew himself was expelled for disobedient acts <laughs> with, within the church. With, he was a Dominican priest. And those disobedient acts were that he referred to God as the mother. How scandalous is that? And that he worked too closely with Native American spiritual practices. And that he would not condemn homosexuality. And side note, Matthew Fox himself has come out as gay. So, in all those outrageous acts of defiance, uh, here was the final one that made it on the list with the Dominican order that got Matthew Fox booted out. Matthew Fox preferred what he called the concept of original blessing instead of original sin. He believed that we this is how he described it, that we burst into the world as original blessings. Oh, how's that for a welcome to your humanhood, you know? His entire life, he's still alive and going strong, is devoted to furthering that faith in our original goodness. This is non-dualistic paradigm, right? This is seeing ourselves not separate from God, but one with God, which means that all of God's goodness and omnipotence and glory and power is ours. So here's a question. Under the umbrella of the cloak, the grayness of the concept of original sin, of the lie of inadequacy. What do you think it's like to go through life thinking that you're not quite enough? Hmm? I don't need to give you a minute. I think we all know the answer to that. I think we become chronic self-fixers or habitual strivers, and we work, we sweat, we toil alongside of our addictions Actually, the striving itself um, is the addictive behavior of that hollowness that we're trying to medicate. I think we're on this track to always try to get on the right side of universal law. We are constantly striving and trying to prove our worth. It can show up 
so simply and so basically in our lives. Maybe, maybe your dad wanted a boy, but you were born and identify as a girl, and they named you Jamie, and they taught you how to play baseball, and your folks clearly loved you, but you've always had this feeling like you got off on the wrong foot. And so ever since day one, you've been either trying to become more of a warrior, you know, or work on oozing your feminist goddess goodness in order to make it all okay, in order to be fully loved and accepted, you know, in order to try and get on the good side of it all, right? Or maybe you have felt like there's this veil draped between what you want in life and what you've been getting. Um, it's just, it's like this plate of glass between your intentions and your actual staying power. And so that has you believe that you don't deserve the abundance that does come to you. And so when something beautiful comes into your life, th that staying power isn't there. You feel like you can't hold on to it and it slips away because you are not on the right side of completely deserving and therefore you can't hold it. You can't assimilate it. It leaves. Those feelings and experiences are part of buying into, on a deep level, on a psychic level, the lie of inadequacy. The truth is that we are more than enough, that our worth does not even come into question. You were born important, with full rights, just for showing up, merely, spectacularly for existing. You are more than adequate. You are substantial, worthy, powerful. You are, we are, a blessing, so many blessings of original goodness. And that is the truth. Hey, hi, I'm talking to you. Tell me if you can relate. You're accustomed to going above and beyond, your friends, your family, clients, community. You are very clear that you are on this planet to be of service. Love is one of your highest values, probably your highest value. You've already done so much inner work. You accomplish things, you pull stuff off, sometimes many things in one day. And sometimes you have energy to spare, and yet you're constantly reacting to external bids for your attention. And you know it's gnawing at your life force. Yeah, you crave joy because you know joy is a healing force. You know that pleasure is empowerment and therefore political. But then the question becomes, how can you really surrender to joy when there's so much pain in the world? Hmm? Yeah. You're in charge of your life. You are so down with practicing your self-agency, and yet you want someone you trust, someone who's been around the cosmic block a few times. You want that person to just set this container to guide you, just tell you what to do, and you're going to do the work. I get it. You are a feeler. You feel things very deeply. And sometimes 
you are well aware that this is a superpower and sometimes it feels like a handicap. Mm-hmm. Yep. Relating? I know. I know because that's me. That was me. Sometimes that's still me. I know how that can become a fuller expression of the most powerful, lit up, inclusive, loving, healed and healing expression of you. And I am deeply committed to helping a lot of us get from here to there. So I've created a support system. It's a membership program. It's called Heart Centered. It is beginning in January, February of 2020. If you go to my site, daniellelaporte.com slash heartcentered, then we will start feeding you uh, all of the how-tos and the whens and the whats and the whys. This is everything my girlfriends have been asking me for for years. This is everything I have been given by great teachers. This is the stuff I have pulled up from the dark nights of my own soul that have helped me get from suffering and transmute that suffering into positively creative power. Yeah, for me now, it is all about evolving with joy. And the only way to do that is together. DanielleLaporte.com slash heart-centered. Mm, 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 mm. That's all I got to say. All right, let's smash some more illusions. Fry them to a crisp. The lie of authority. The lie of authority says you need someone else to validate your worth and your choices. It's like somebody outside of you who apparently knows better than you do about who you are and your soul's journey is going to give you some permission slip for something. Yeah, hell no. Please no. Definitely no. If you really want to mess with people, uh, just call yourself a spiritual authority. Yeah. I do it all the time. Uh, I don't actually. I don't like to be called a motivational speaker or a spiritual teacher. When someone, they send a bio back to me that they're going to read before a speaking gig, and I, if I can get to it in time, I try and have that stricken from the record. I'm just showing up to say what I've got to say. Uh, so whether it's true or false that you're a spiritual authority of any kind, and of course they exist, and of course, we all have spiritual authority to some degree at different times of our life on different topics. Um, listen, it's one of the most magnetic, profoundly comforting, and almost impossible to verify claims that a person can make to say that they're a spiritual authority. So if you really want to mess with someone, that's, how, that's, that's what you should have on your business card. But if you really want to mess up your own life, what you should do is never, ever question those so-called spiritual authorities. Now, this would be a good place for me to mention that just like I love Jesus the Christ, I love life coaches, I love spiritual authorities, I love me a good shaman, <laughs> but I am deeply respectful and have profound honor for many energy workers who have come in and out of my life. I mean, I, I hope this is obvious. I've had dozens of these people on call 
uh, for a couple decades. I've spent thousands of dollars on coaching and psychology and energy healing. Uh, I even have my own curriculum, my own workshop curriculum that I license to amazing coaches and facilitators and yoga teachers. You too could become a Desire Mat facilitator. I think every woman should have a room of her own, as Virginia Woolf declared, and, and a life coach. Okay, so my love is true. However, we are becoming experts I put that in quotes, at being experts in things we are not really experts in. Shallow knowledge, shallow knowledge, limited experience, very limited grasping. So, you know, obviously we're living in the age of information, but that does not mean it is the age of wisdom. Wisdom comes from lived and earned experience. When you went through the experience, when you had your own awakenings, your own insights, and you reached deep into that, the pain, the agony, the suffering, the stretching, the extension, and you developed your own insight, and you turn that into wisdom, and yes, you're going to do this with the help of a lot of people, but when you turn it into your own wisdom, when you move from a belief to a knowing, you didn't just download the fucking PDF in the coaching class, yeah? That's when you get to teach. If you don't have that wisdom, don't be teaching about it. If you want to show up as a teacher to be of service, please do. If you want to show up as a teacher to make your livelihood from contributing your knowing, your personal development perspective to the collective, please do that. Speak honestly about where you are in your journey and have that authenticity and that meticulous seeking be the service that you give to the world. This is where I am right now. These are the questions I'm asking. This is what I'm learning. This is where I want to get to. Come along with me and we can learn together. And you can charge for that. The thing is that we've got a lot of mislabeled authority happening out there. And authority labels in and of themselves can create a lot of separation between people, especially when ideologies are at play. Because so many of us are so hungry for the ideology, the philosophy, the 10 steps, the the fix that's going to get us out of our suffering. And when we have so many of us with calling cards that are saying, we know the way and we don't really, oh, it's just a fucking mess. Yes, we all have something to learn from each other. Yes, we are all teachers. I've said this before. We are all teachers. Everybody is a teacher. The question is, what is it that you are teaching? And I am fully in support of everybody showing up in in an owning, formalized, dignified, proud way of teaching what it is you have to teach. But let's be really clear. Nobody is an authority on anybody else's journey. Here's the big point. You are the authority on you. Nobody, listen, lean in, wherever you are right now, making dinner, you're driving, you're walking with me with your earbuds in around the lake, listen, nobody knows better than you 
what's right for you. Nobody. I'm going to say it again. Nobody. Advice? Yeah, get some. Oracles? Sure. Consult them. Friends? Yeah, worship your friends. Actual gurus? Honor them. Final say? All you. All you, no matter what. No matter how psychic that psychic is, no matter how rich the business consultant is, or how gifted, truly gifted, the healer, or how insightful the yoga instructor or the wellness coach, or how doctored the doctor is. All that experts offer you is data for you to take into consideration. Sometimes that data is really powerful. It's high leverage. It's exactly what you needed to hear. Mm, It's a gift for sure. But you are the centrifugal force that has to filter and interpret and give meaning and value to all of that data. Your body knows because it's your body. Your heart knows it's your heart. And your mind, your mind will help you act on what your body and your heart and your soul know to be right for you. So here's my guiding philosophy. I'm just going to like, I'm going to distill this down. My guiding philosophy about any philosophy, take what you want and leave the rest. There is not one ideology or teacher who is 100% right all of the time. Even though they may be vastly wise and deeply experienced and they love you profoundly, yeah, it's still you. There are going to be plenty of times when you should just heed that external advice. Just take it for wholesale and go, yep, that's right. I'm going to do exactly what you tell me to do. But that's only because it's aligned with what your deep heart is telling you to do. So advice, yeah, get it. When your wise friend says to you, have you lost your fucking mind? You may have lost your mind you still need to make the final call. Your soul has a plan and your soul is the authority. And that, that's the truth. (laughs) Trust me. (laughs) Uh, You get the irony in that. Yeah, you get it. Trust yourself. Ready for the last doozer? Here we go. It's the lie of affiliation. And this one is so... This one is so fun in the self-help space because the lie of affiliation will tell you that groupthink is good think. The lie of affiliation is kind of a, it's a byproduct of the lie of authority. You could also call this the lie of being cool. Okay, this is a dangerous lie. So here's a flashback. (laughs) And a lot of you, you're going to relate to this. I'm at one of those, you know, personal development workshops where the apparently super evolved and knowledgeable guy who has more money than everybody in the room is working his neuro-linguistic programming kung fu to get all of the participants there to share their deepest secrets with a group of utter strangers. Is this this sounding like a workshop? Were you there? Yeah, I know. I thought I recognized you. So he says... He's always got a microphone. These guys always have a mic, even in a small room where a microphone is not necessary. And they're often the only guy 
with the microphone. You don't even get to use the microphone when you're going to share your deep pain with all the strangers. So leader guy asks, you know, who wants to share next? And then piercingly looks at somebody. So he zooms in on, I'm going to call this guy Pablo just to protect the innocent. And I think leader, workshop leader guy zoomed in on Pablo who I had deep affection for. We were partners in a lot of exercises because Pablo is the guy in the room who looks scared shitless, <laughs> most easy to crack and potentially manipulate. Yeah, so I'm sitting next to Pablo and I'm noticing that, oh, dude, he has he's balled up all of this tissue in both hands to help with his sweating palms. It's like one of his things is sweating palms. And Pablo looks at me, and I look at Pablo, and I'm like, dude, it's your call. Meaning, I mean, my eyes are saying, you you super do not have to fucking do this. But, of course, everyone's going to fucking do it, right? You're put on the spot. So, leader guy walks over to Pablo. You know, he's got this series of questions that he asks everybody. Of course, the questions are proprietary and trademark. <laughs> but right on cue, Pablo goes into his childhood story. And these are his words. He speaks about having a verbally abusive mother who was obese and often didn't leave the home. And was they were living in a house of total squalor. It was infested. I mean, he had already, Pablo told me on the side about dog feces being in the kitchen floor. He was embarrassed to bring people over and you know, he goes on to tell the whole group, it's the first day of the workshop, never met anybody, about being sexually abused by a relative. And his story goes on and on, and it got it got worse. The story got unspeakably worse. Of course, it's unspeakable unless you're being put on the spot in a personal development workshop. And the abuse resulted in all kinds of Neuroses and obsessive compulsive behavior in his adulthood. And oh, this is so moving to remember this. He was crying through his story. And most of the people, the emotionally available people in the room, were crying along with him. And then the leader guy walks over to Pablo with his final questions. And then, I kid you not, we're all signaled to group hug Pablo while the DJ who's in the back of the room, who's just, I can want, I'm watching this DJ listening to all of this. And I know this guy is singing like, ah, what's the best match? What's the best song to play that is a fit for this guy's fucking pain, you know? And they play Winona Judd's cover. Wasn't even the original version. Winona Judd's cover of Foreigner Song, I want to know what love is. I want to know what love is. Yeah, I can show you. I can show you for $795 plus accommodations for this workshop what love is. Listen, this is a great example of the lie of authority and the trap that groupthink is goodthink, is superior, that if everybody's doing it, it's the right thing to do. And this is particularly rampant in personal development circles because 
we're not getting together to build a bomb. We're getting together to improve ourselves, to make the world a better place. That means you need to be even more awake about what you're going to say yes to with respect to sharing your your deep, dark, shadowy pain, you know? So still at the workshop. And at dinner, one of the spiritually intoxicated attendees, you know the feeling, right? You're high. And some of it is so legit. I've I've been that kind of high. I still get that kind of high where I'm feeling open-hearted and my love is flowing and I'm touched by other people's courage to share and I'm moved by my own courage to share and we're all one and connected and it's beautiful. However, it's not always the truth. So my fellow attendee, you know, over our the classic bowl of quinoa salad and kale, which is never enough to eat, by the way, at these workshops, says to me, isn't this wonderful? Uh, that sharing that Pablo did is going to change his life. And you know, it it in that situation, it just didn't land for me. And I said, well, you know, maybe. But I think when he gets back to work on Monday, he's going to regret the shit out of this. Why? Because I don't think it was a legitimately sacred container that was developed. Why? Because I question the veracity, the, the true wisdom of workshop leader guy and his intentions. And I, I wondered about the work that he did because I watched him speak so shortly and curtly to some of his staff. I watched him talk about his ex-wife in the most humiliating context. I watched his new wife in the audience just with her mouth agape, just nodding at everything he was saying. And all she could talk about through that weekend was how fucking great he was. It's like she had no identity of her own. And here's the thing. Some things are too sacred to be talked about in a fluorescent lit hotel conference room with people you have just met. That's not a sacred container, you know? And some things are things you should only tell to your qualified therapist, to someone who is of the age of wisdom, you know? Or to your best friend who you know is going to stay with you along your healing journey, where you're going to be held, where there's a sanctity of privacy. And oftentimes, not all the time, I know there are times where you just let it all out with strangers and you feel that connectivity. But sometimes that's how the real healing happens. You declare things to be private and sacred. You know, you honor that your pain is going to be held with both respect and skill, not by manipulation and force. But here's the thing. Groups tend to pull shit out of us, you know, because we love the comfort of belonging, even if it's belonging to miserable or unqualified company. And we can give up our power to leaders. You know, leaders can seemingly 
take the heat off of us to do the work ourselves. It's only temporary. But it's like all we have to do is spill the beans and cry, and we get welcomed right in. But a few days later, we might wake up with this wicked spiritual hangover of like, oop, I shared too much. Sometimes that's our ego coming up to the surface and contracting. You didn't share too much. You actually had a, a genuine experience. It's all very confusing, isn't it? Am I confusing you? Because when do you know who's wise and who isn't? When to share and when not to share? When to bear your soul and when not to bear your soul? Well, first of all, it begins in this conversation right now with knowing that discernment is necessary in all situations and that we have the final say in what we are going to offer up. Because wanting to be affiliated with a cause or a group can get even more convoluted when we are getting together for spiritual reasons. You know, like who's going to stand up at a workshop about being essentially a more loving human being and say, this workshop leader is actually being really mean to his people. And I think this is total bullshit because it would not seem very loving. It would not seem very open-hearted and courageous now, would it? But sometimes it's exactly what's called for. Here's the thing. We are going to experience group enchantment in order to define our individuality. This is part of it. This is how we fall for the lies so that we can get to our truth. You're going to do you're going to be a sucker. We enlist. And we play and we promote. And we wake up. And we leave the flock. And we polish our own wisdom. And then then we go find where we truly belong. We realize that we are at home within ourselves and that we want to hang with and celebrate with and build with people who know that they are also home unto themselves. Love builds on love and truth builds on truth. So then our job is to seek love and seek truth, to be in the heart and to journey towards consciousness. So, you know, how many of the so-called sane and socially accepted people in positions of leadership or profit-making who claim connection with the divine are actually speaking spirit-oppressing nonsense? And if we consider that, we proceed more wakefully. And we also need to consider the reverse, Right? Uh, I wonder about all the people throughout time who were committed to psychiatric wards, the mad artists, the crazy people who were diagnosed as delusional or schizophrenic, the women who were proclaimed to be hysterical, and how many of them weren't actually chemically imbalanced or suffering from any kind of psychopathic breakdown, but rather they were experiencing a spiritual transmission that was either just overloading their circuits at that time, or nobody else around them could understand. Yeah. 
you know, who of the diagnosed and the disregarded might have actually been, or, you know, in our current times is actually speaking truth or is communicating interdimensionally. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. What I do know is that we have to consider that everything we thought was the truth could be a lie. I just want to like put out on this beautiful platter for you that anything that says that you are not the authority of your own soul might be the most blatant lie ever. A truth distortion is part of truth clarification. That's the contrast. So if we accept that the dilution and the pollution and the misappropriation of truth, as in capital truth, ancient truth, is inevitable, and it's actually part of the journey, then we're going to be a lot more compassionate with ourselves and with each other as we figure this all out. Truth has spectrums. Or maybe, you know, maybe it's just if there's one diamond of truth, absolute truth, at the center of everything, maybe it's more about our capacity to interpret and see the refractions of that light. It's about our capacity for how we can sequence and digest the truth, the levels of truth. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I feel like each dose of truth that I receive with every step, you know, towards it expands me. And I think we're each increasing our capacity to receive and to give, to talk about uh, more truth and more light. You know, we seek, we seek, seek and you shall find one layer of truth that you can handle at a time. Every experience we have in life, even the missteps, even the lies we believe and the lies we've told because we thought we were doing the right thing, you know, it's a step closer to the most sacred radiance. Yeah, I think we're all waking up in the same direction. All right, friends, thanks for getting truthy, truthy with me. This has been a good run for the first season of this. I'm so grateful. If I go into the depths of how grateful I am, I'm going to start to cry, and then we're going to have to cut this and come back. And I actually cry a lot throughout the recordings of these podcasts, but you don't know it because we cut it out. Because professional. I, I'm going to keep coming back. I really have fallen in love with uh, this way of making. <laughs> and uh, it helps that people are showing up. So thank you with all my heart, deepest gratitude, mutual respect. And uh, I see you. I see you and I love you. Here we go. You will not be fearless. The best self-help is self-compassion. When you give yourself credit for making it this far in life and still being a gentle soul, then you will know the truth of love. When in a courageously still moment, you hear yourself say, I have everything I need right now, then you'll know the truth of faith. 
and you will bring that shine to work with you and to your causes and your loving and your collaborations with the universe. You will not be fearless, but you will be certain of what matters most. You will place your preferences on the altar of your life and say this, this is what brings me joy. And with the heavenly madness of faith, you will live your truth with the devotion that it deserves. May your beauty dawn on you. May your pure faith light the way. And may all be so blessed. And hey, slow down if you need to, but don't ever stop. Thank you so much for listening, for feeling, for spreading the word. Oh my God. With love. <laughs>